Well, this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 11, uh, and we will look at verses 28 through uh, 44 this morning. We're going to consider uh, those verses together. Last week, we looked at the death of Lazarus, uh, the purpose of death and illness in the life of a believer, the focus on the coming resurrection, and this week we are looking at the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Our normal mode of um, operation as we uh, look at God's Word is that we go through the text of Scripture uh, in its context and in its order, and so this week, um, that's where we pick up. We will begin by uh, prayer. We will read the passage and then divide the word, making applications along the way. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Well, Father God, we come in Jesus' name. We come in need of your grace this morning. We need your help in this time to receive with confidence the promises of your holy scriptures. May you have your way in us and with the church that gathers all around the county and in Yam Hill this morning. Would you be with Pastor David? Give him clarity and conviction as he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. We ask that again that you would uh, remove any distractions from our heart this morning. That you would remove uh, me uh, from the preaching of your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through the pages of Scripture, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So John 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 28, and we'll end at verse uh, 44 this morning. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, uh, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
This is the infallible, inspired Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the call of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? God makes dead people live through Jesus Christ. The Gospel commands the dead to come to life. And the doctrines of grace begin with that, don't they? They begin with the sovereignty of God in salvation. God chooses those who would come to life by faith. And it must be that God saves because the task is humanly impossible. Remember what Joe said as we were ready to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Who then can be saved, the disciples asked. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's because dead people can't make themselves come to life. And you and I have no power to raise people from the dead. God, it is, it's a, it is God who must work to bring people to life. So the context in which we do evangelism in 2021 is the same context that evangelism has been done forever. It's the same as it was 200 years ago. All evangelism is done in a graveyard. All evangelism is done in a graveyard. We speak words of life to dead souls. That's what evangelism is. Speaking life to dead souls. So there's, there's, there's all kinds of programs about evangelism, right? And tricks and all these things that we can do. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that the context is the same. It is always the same. We speak life to dead souls. We are dependent upon God to raise the dead to life and bring them to faith. If you would, turn with me to Ezekiel 37. I want to listen, I want you to listen to the first 14 verses of this passage to see that it has always been, it has always been that words of life are spoken to dead souls. That salvation is an act of God alone. Let's look at chapter 37 of Ezekiel, first 14 verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and He set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and He led me uh, around among them. And behold, there was very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, You know. Then He said to me, Prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a a sound. And behold, a rattling. The bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the, to the breath, 
Prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophecy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. The Word of God is spoken to dead, lifeless souls. It is God who knows to whom He will give life. Those who come to life have been commanded to life by the Word of God. It is God who gives them breath. It is God who raises the dead to life. It is God who puts His Spirit in those He chooses. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Romans 19 Six uh, 9.16 says, it, it, meaning salvation, depends not on human will or exertion, but it depends upon God who has mercy. We have the gospel message that you and I are commanded to preach everywhere we go. But I want us to remember this, that we preach our message in the cemeteries where we live. We preach our message in the cemeteries of our schools. We preach our message in the cemeteries of our workplace. If any of those whom we are to preach are to come to life, we have to know this, God must help. If anyone is to come to life, God must help. The life of faith is trusting that God will help. The abundant Spirit-filled resurrection life of Jesus Christ in us is recognizing and remembering that God has helped. You know, when we come to the Lord's Supper, that is what we are declaring, isn't it? God has helped. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I have been risen because God has given me words of life. And He called me to life. He commanded me to live. And I lived. I had no life in myself, but God commanded it. And therefore, I am alive. When we come to the table of communion, we're saying, God has helped And we're also trusting the future that God will help. That the God who has helped, who gave me life, will continue to help me. He will continue. God has helped. In our passage this morning, Jesus, the Word made flesh, will soon command Lazarus to come alive. Lazarus' name in the Hebrew is from the name Eleazar, which means God has helped. Or God will help. Earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus foretold what He is about to soon display in Lazarus. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who has sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. So all of that, by way of introduction, we will now look back at our text. And we'll look closely at verses 28 through 31 first. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So Martha has just confessed in our last section that she believes that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God who is coming into the world. And Martha here informs Mary that Jesus is calling her, calling her to come to him. Mary is in mourning over the death of her brother Lazarus. Now these three siblings uh, are wealthy according to the standards of their day, and there's no doubt that they would have been uh, able to hire professional mourners. Even the poorest families in that time were expected to hire two flute players and some, some mourners um, and professional wailers, right? So when Mary is called... Aside from her friends who were consoling her, there was also professionals, and they followed her as well. But see, this ensured that what Jesus was about to do would have many, many witnesses. That there was no way to refute that Jesus commanded, and by his word, a dead man came to life. So this is all in God's providential plan, in God's sovereignty, in God's way of mapping out this truth so that we would see that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of the living God, and that by seeing Him and by knowing Him that you and I would have life in His name. You know, this is kind of an aside, but when we as Christians invite people into our lives and we invite them into our pain, when we invite them into our struggles, we have given them an opportunity, haven't we, to see our faith, to see our hope, to see the difference that the resurrection makes in our lives and the opportunity that they might see the Lord Jesus and how Christ helps us through our trials. Here, we desire to be a community, a family of believers in which our relationships have gone beyond the foyer greeting of, how are you? I'm fine. To really, really knowing each other, displaying our faith in Jesus as an encouragement and offer maybe some help to our brothers and sisters so here, many are invited into the morning and they get to see the display of Mary and Martha's faith. And they get to see what Jesus is about to do in raising Lazarus from the dead. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha have the same response to Jesus' delayed arrival, don't they? As we remember from last week. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is not a rebuke of Jesus. This here is a statement of grief that is mingled with a statement of faith. She's mourning the loss of her brother. If you had been here, you are the God of the possible, Jesus. I know that with you it is possible. But yet, I hurt. I'm in pain. If you had been here, you could have helped. Martha says, 
Also in verse 22, even, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, He will give it to you. She's in her pain, but she trusts that whatever Jesus would ask of God, even, even then God would hear Him. This is one of the signs of saving faith, brothers and sisters. In all our pain, in any circumstance, one of the first steps that we have faith, one of the first evidences that you and I have faith is this. God can help. That's our statement of faith. I'm in deep, dark circumstances, but I trust this. God can help. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? God can help. And she's saying this to Jesus. If you had been here, He wouldn't have died. You could help. You can help. And I know that whatever you ask of the Father, whatever you pray, He will do it for you. I know that if it's in His will, you can help. Whatever you ask, He will give it to you. If circumstances in our lives never change, ever, God will help. That's our trust. He will help us by giving us the comfort of His Holy Spirit. He will help in using our difficult circumstances for His glory. He will help us by giving confidence that through Jesus Christ, even the worst of times, Jesus will be glorified in all of my trouble does not negate the fact that we go through pain. Uh, though the pain is real. The pain is really real. But also, so is the hope. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is real. This is the hope the believer lives in, knowing that our faith was given to us because God in Jesus Christ has helped. He has called us out of death and into life. God will help. Mary and Martha both confess that although these things seem humanly impossible, with Jesus, all things are possible. Let us look at 33 through 37 together. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? As we look at this section, I want us to remind you of how we opened last week's message in chapter 11, verse 4, reminding you that the overriding principle of Jesus' life was the glory of the Father. His relationship with this family is one of love and compassion. Jesus plays compassion, but He never wavers from the overriding principle in His life. The overriding principle in His life is the glory of the Father and knowing that all things, even trouble, even this family's pain, God would glorify Jesus through it. Right? He doesn't waver from this principle. Notice that in their pain, Jesus weeps with them. And at the same time, He's greatly troubled in His spirit, it says. He weeps with them, and at the same time, he's greatly troubled in his spirit. He displays outward compassion, but inwardly, he's grieved. He's grieved by the way in which they are mourning the loss of Lazarus. The Jews and the professional whalers, they're grieving here as the world grieves. They're grieving as though who have no hope. 
You see, this phrase, deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, is translated from the Greek and it's really softened in our English text. Its meaning is is softened down to say troubled and deeply moved. The original language means this. He was agitated, angered, and indignant. Akin to the snorting of a horse. This is what's going on inwardly in Jesus. Agitated. Compassionate, loving, kind, but inwardly agitated at the way in which they have mourned. What troubles Jesus here? Well, Jesus is indignant when faced with attitudes that are not governed by the truths that the Father has revealed in His Word. He's agitated when our response is not governed by the truths that He has already revealed to them. Right? He's already revealed who He is to them, and yet here they respond in a way as if the Word has never been delivered to them as if the truth had not been imparted to them. Jesus has revealed to them much so far, hasn't He? As we have studied John's Gospel. He has said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the kingdom. I am the door out of the kingdom of darkness. I am the good shepherd. I am the leader that leads you into new life. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, if sin, illness, and death excite Jesus' indignation, is stand to reason, so would an attitude that is not born of faith. His indignation is that this is not born of faith. You act as if there's no hope in the world. Further igniting Jesus' wrath is the statement of some in verses 37 and 38. But some of them said, could not, he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. See, Jesus is agitated by a faith that rests not on who he is. The faith of some here rests on what he's done, displays of miracles. They don't believe him at his word. They don't just want Jesus for who he is for them. They want him for the miraculous, for the performance, for the greatness. Let me see more of this, right? It rests not on who he is, but on signs and wonders. He is indignant that some would think that troubled times also means that the love of God has failed. In this, in this time, as they say here, you know, that couldn't he have opened their eyes? Oh, how he loved him. But couldn't he have done the same as he did for the one who was born blind and he opened his eyes? Could he not have? His love failed them. And Jesus is indignant that some would think that his love failed. That just because they're in a trial, just because they've experienced loss, that means that Jesus doesn't have love and compassion for him. Well, simultaneously, he has compassion for them because he understands their frailty. And you know, overall, when we think about the Scriptures, we know this. The world is at enmity with God. And yet, how can these two things be? The world is at enmity with God. And yet, it is those who are opposed to Him that God sets His electing love upon. 
The world is opposed to him, and it is those very people who are opposed to him that God sets his electing love upon. What an amazing truth. Let's move on to verse 39 and 40. So Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, at this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus' delay, delay here, it clearly displays that for Lazarus to be raised from the dead, God must help. It is his only hope. The only hope that Martha and Mary would, would need, the only hope that they could have is that God would intervene, that God would help, that God himself would intervene on their behalf. The only hope for the unbelieving children in our lives is that God must help. God must intervene if our neighbors and our co-workers or our government leaders are going to come to faith. God must help. God must intervene. But God has sent help. God has sent help in the person of Jesus Christ. God is sending help to your unbelieving neighbors, to your unbelieving children. He's sending help through you, mom and dad. He has sent help through you, mom and dad, because you have the words, you have the ministry of reconciliation. So I say this, if you have children and you have, they have not come to faith and they seem to be obstinate and opposed, keep pleading with them. Keep pleading with God to act. There is still hope There is always still hope as long as it is day. Not one of your family members, neighbors, or co-workers is too far gone that when you proclaim that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is a Savior in whom they can trust, God can help. There is no one that God cannot call. God brings even the dead to life, even your enemies, even those who are opposed to you. You see, as we look at this text, Jesus' uh, Jewish thought in that time was that a person was not dead until they had been in a tomb four days. It was only when the body decays do they say, you know, he's not mostly dead. He's dead dead. He's not just mostly dead. He's really dead. He is dead dead. He's been there four days. And as the King James says, he stinketh. Right? There, this is a dead dead person. And the only way that Lazarus could rise is if God acted and rose him from the dead. Jesus says, remember the promise. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Death is not the end for Lazarus, nor will it be for me in the end, Jesus says. All of this is that God would be glorified and the Son of God in whom you've confessed will be glorified through it. He has said to them, your brother will rise. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives uh, and believes in me shall never die. And he poses this question, do you believe this? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you? Jesus reiterates the promise here, doesn't He? Did I not tell you that death is not the end 
Death will not be the end of Lazarus. And though what you are about to see, that, that, that should uh, uh, be in your fresh in your mind and in your heart when, when these who are Jesus' disciples are about to see Him crucified, right? That should be in their mind. That death is not the end for Christ. That there's still hope. That there's hope. Because with God, as we said, all things are possible. And God can help. And God will help. Verse 41. So, they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You have heard me. I knew that You always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that You sent me. You see, the Father and the Son are working together here to bring about the faith of dead souls. Jesus and the Father have been in prayerful communication. You know, throughout this delay, it's not as if Jesus has not already prayed and not already aligned Himself with the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was to raise Lazarus from the dead. This Jesus knew because He was in constant communication with the Father. They are one, as Jesus has said in the previous chapter, that He and the Father are one. They are one in will. They are one in intention. They are one in heart. They are working together that while it is day, Jesus is working and He is working the will of the Father and He says that my Father is working even as I am working. So Jesus has been in prayer, in constant communication with the Father. So the Father and Him are saving souls that they are about to bring life to this dead soul. They've been in prayerful communication. So He gives thanks to the Father, confident that God will raise Lazarus from the grave upon Jesus' command. For the sake of those observing, Jesus prays aloud that those might believe that it is God who sent him. Verse 43. When they had, when they, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, in perfect union with the Father and the Holy Spirit, has power over death and he has the words of life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Jesus, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. And I'm posing this to you as he posed last week to them, to Martha, do you believe this? Are you living in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ by faith currently? Can you say with confidence this? Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you grieve as the world grieves? Do you grieve without hope? Or rather, are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you? The one who lives in the resurrected life currently has a hope and are prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks, what is the hope that you have in you? That Jesus Christ has helped, will help, can help. That God can and does intervene in the lives of 
dead souls, and I am living proof that I was once dead, but now I have been made alive. But God, who had mercy. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins, but God had mercy. God called me from death to life. This is the hope that I have in me, that this resurrection life, although I don't attain it in in practicality right now, I live it uh I live it out, right? Knowing that one day, practically, I will be raised from the dead. That if I die today, if you and I die today, if we die right here, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will be in the presence of the Lord. And then one day when He comes back, your body will be raised and joined with Him. This is our hope, friends. That this is not all there is. And death is not the end for any of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who have been called to life. Death is not the end for us. And if we really believe that, we can say, as Paul said, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Have you ever, have you ever witnessed a non-believer go home, go, go to their death? My wife has several times witnessed Non-believers dying without faith. And, and most of them, she would tell you, go out kicking and screaming and fighting in anguish, in turmoil. But she has also witnessed born-again, blood-bought believers in Jesus going home to the Lord. And they go home with peace, with joy, and with strength. Do we have that kind of resurrection hope in our lives. One other thing is, do we regularly celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day? Or do you neglect to gather because the resurrection of Jesus is something that you add to the myriad of things that are going on in your life? Have you made yourself, are you yourself an instrument of the grace of the sovereign God? Are you an instrument of His grace? You can't save anyone, but He's using you to save souls by proclaiming His words to dead souls. Are you available as an instrument that God is calling to proclaim this truth? Dead. The dead will rise again. That Jesus Christ can raise you from the dead. He can take you from your sin-filled life and bring you into life. He can take you from the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of life. I want to close with six evidences that you are living the resurrected life. And I will just say these briefly. Six evidences that you are currently living the resurrected life. One, you gather regularly with those who have been called from death to life to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to celebrate the resurrection life that He has given you. Second, your behavior in the church gives illustrative proof to the mystery of the gospel. You're a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. You do the work of the ministry by building the church up in love, and you call the dead to life, boldly proclaiming that there is life in Jesus Christ. And then, as we uh, are in community together, do you, you display sacrificially love for one another? Number six, you are always prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. This morning, if you are on the fence or an unbeliever, I just have one more final.
final call. And I'm going to ask in my heart, I'm going to seek the Father this morning and ask Him to help and ask Him to work in your life. But if you are an unbeliever this morning, I would say this, this is the proclamation. This is what God is calling to you. And I would say this as I began, I'm going to close in the same thing. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let us take a moment of silence to reflect upon God's Word and have it have its full effect in us. And Father God, I thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, for Your grace to enable us to walk in the truth as we heard this morning. I pray for Your intervention in our lives and in our hearts and our minds this morning that You would erase anything that um, that was of the flesh and of the world and that we would glean only that which Your Spirit wants to speak to us. I pray that You would unite us in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would know that no matter how much we are troubled, no matter what kind of circumstance we are in, that we are loved by You. That You love us. And that in all of these things, the overriding principle is the glory of God. Help us, Lord, to embrace that, to make sense of our trouble, and to know that we are loved. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.